And I want to say what, a, what an unbelievable um, privilege it is um, to stand before you this morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I am unbelievably excited about what this morning means um, for all of us, um, not just the Dorseys and the Silversteins, but for all of us as we um, surrender uh, these boys to the Lord, these families to the Lord, but more than that is we surrender ourselves to the Lord. Um, so the point isn't for you to just sit here and observe. Um, we believe the point is that you would participate in the move of God, specifically this morning, but for all time. Okay, and so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. There's a couple of things that I want to do um, before we um, invite the Dorseys and the Silversteins to come up. There's a couple of things I want to do to set up our time, and I want to do it starting in 1 Samuel. Um, I believe these words will also be uh, up on the screen. Um, follow along with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, we'll start at verse 1. It says, There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man, talking about Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his uh, from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. One day, when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed, closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten Sons, I want, I want to stop there for a second. So here's this young girl married to this young man, and the, and the story is that she's unable to get pregnant. And not just unable to get pregnant, it says what? Who plays the part? God. It says he closed, closed her womb. So really, they could do nothing about the fact that they couldn't get pregnant. It didn't matter how many doctors they went to, how much medicine they took. God said, uh-uh. Not happening. Now, what's interesting is, what does it say? It says that Elkanah loved her. Okay, in this culture, if a woman couldn't bear a child, you know what that meant? She was worthless. And it, it, to the point where, where Elkanah's like, Am I not more to you than ten sons? I love you. I'm okay that you can't bear a child. Okay, but one, one thing I want to point out this morning is God's sovereign control over children, over the conception of a child. 
and, and we're going to see that, that you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and unless God says okay, it will not happen. I think we chalk up a lot to our own ability to do things in this life and even to bring children into this world apart from God saying, I'm going to allow that. Not that God never allows that and, and in a punitive way. In a, okay, you want children? I'm going to give you children. This isn't really what you really want. But sometimes he gives us what we want even though it's not what's good for us. But I just want to, I just think it's important to point that out. God's sovereign control over the conception of this child. Um, look down at verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli... The priest was sitting at the seat, sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Okay, notice this woman. She's like, I can't bear a child. And she's weeping before the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servants and remember me. Okay, remember that with those words right there. She asks the Lord to remember her. Don't lose that thought. That's going to reappear in a little bit. And not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now here's the thing that you need to notice. Here's a godly woman pleading to the Lord that this would be his will. The conception of a child. This isn't bargaining like, God, if you give me this child, then I'll give him back to you and we'll do this little deal. Like, this is honoring to the Lord. A godly woman pleading to the God of heaven. God, would you make this your will? All the while humble enough to say, if it's not your will, okay, but I want this to be your will, God. And here's the deal. God loves prayers like this. God loves honest pleas before the Lord. And I, re I remember early on when, when um, specifically when Melissa was pregnant and some concerns about the health of Jeremiah, and I just remember praying over them. I remember one time they were at my house and we were just standing in the foyer of my house and just laid hands on them and they were, they were worried about the, their, their son. And we just prayed and said, God, would you be with this child? Would you make him healthy? And man, God answers prayer, amen? Like those, were, those were nervous times. God answers prayer. God loves honest prayer. Now jump down to verse 19. They rose early in the morning, talking about the family, Elkanah and Hannah. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house of Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. In case you're wondering, that means they had sex. Just to clear that up. A newer, like I thought he already knew. Didn't they know each other? No, they had sex, okay? Just to clear that up. And, Hannah knew, and, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And check this out. And the Lord remembered her. Did you, like, remember when Hannah asked that? God, would you remember me? Would you remember that I'm asking you to do this right now? And what does he do? It says, 
And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Here's the amazing thing. And God said, yes. God said, I delight in that. I delight in the birth of these children, the conception of this child. And we could go on and on and look at the life of Samuel. And look at the unbelievable things that he did for the kingdom of God. The glory of Jesus. So here's what I want to. Um, actually, I need to keep reading. Hang on a sec. Go back to 21. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, "As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever." Elkanah, her husband, said to her. Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until he weaned him. I want to put this question out. And I want to answer a question first um, before we dedicate and pray over these children. And these families. And here's the question, and it comes out of verse 22. But here's the question. What does it look like to raise the next generation in the presence of the Lord? What does it look like to raise the next generation in the presence of the Lord? Okay, now this question is twofold. Okay, on one side it means as adults, and I say adults because if you're a Christian in the room, you take a responsibility in the community of the household of God to play a part in raising up the next generation. Whether you're a parent or not, whether you ever be a parent or not, you play a part in raising up the next generation. Okay, so on one hand, what does it mean to raise up the next generation in the presence of the Lord? What we're talking about is as adults, I'm literally in God's presence as I raise up these children. And on the other hand, We're raising up these children, continually experiencing the presence of the Lord. So I want to try to answer that, and it's a twofold deal. Um, And to do it, I want to use Proverbs chapter 3. And so um, I want to invite Rachel's dad, um, Bob, to come up. um, And he's going to read Proverbs 3. I I will add real quick uh, what an honor this is. Um, actually, uh, Rachel's mom was my uh, elementary music teacher, um, and so uh, it's kind of a, an incredible privilege to, to be a part of this service, to be a part of uh, Rachel and I went to elementary school together, and so to be a part of dedicating their, their, their child and to be a part of um, having the McClurgs here is an incredible honor. Um, so uh, thanks for being here, and if you want to read Proverbs 3. Um, if if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, um, I want to unpack just um, the first uh, couple verses um, in answering this question. What does, it, what does it look like to actually raise children in the presence of the Lord? Um, look at verse 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandment for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Okay, so here's the first thing I want to present to you. Okay, here's what it is. Number one, the gospel must penetrate the heart. Okay, because notice what the verse says. It says, do not forget my teaching. So teaching, when teaching happens, there's a process whereby, if you've 
been in school, which a majority of you have, you pump this stuff into your head only to pump it out onto some paper and forget it, right? Okay, but, but notice Solomon here, in his instruction, he says, don't forget my teachings, and the way you don't forget my teachings is it's got to get to your heart. These commandments that I'm giving you, this way of life I'm showing you to live, it has to get to your heart because we get things in our head and they, they just stay there. And a lot of times if you're like me, we forget them. But unless they actually begin to affect the core being of who we are, it's not going to matter why. What's the big deal about the heart? Um, Jeremiah says this, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In, In Genesis, the account of the flood, God says this talking about man, and it's still true of man today, that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continuously. Here's going to be a hard truth for you to swallow this morning, some of you. Okay? As incredibly beautiful as these children are, they have a wicked heart. Okay? We'll wait till they get a little older and we'll begin to see that. But they have a wicked heart. Okay, that's what this is saying. Unless, unless the truth of God begins to penetrate and change their heart, it's not going to matter. Okay, because here's the deal. The gospel can't simply be a story of a God who sent his son to die on a cross to rise again and, and never actually impact who we are. That it just be this cute little history lesson Okay, now I know it starts as that. It starts as a story, right? Okay, but at some point, it begins to trickle down from your head to your heart. The greatest 18 inches of the distance between your head and your heart because it can be the distance between heaven and hell. And the amazing thing is this passage says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. When you live out God's design to raise kids in the presence of the Lord, to raise them up to be kids that love Jesus, the Bible says that that's where peace is found. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Here's the second thing of what it looks like to raise up the next generation in the presence of God. The gospel must be defined by the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ. Not of us. What do I mean by that? Look, look, at, look at verse 3. It says, let not, love and, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Okay, here's what we want. We've got to be real careful with because what we want to do is we want to, I even want to teach my daughter, you need to be loving. You need to be faithful to obey me. Now, those are true, right? Absolutely true statements. But they're secondary. Why? Let's go to the Bible and let's, let's find out. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. Okay, so here's the deal. The ability for us to actually steadfastly love the Lord and be faithful to him is directly contingent on the reality that God is love. And apart from him being love and and us receiving his love, we have no ability within our wicked hearts to actually love the way God calls us to love. 
And so we must focus on not so much what, what we have to do, because Romans 5 puts it like this. What? But God shows his love for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His body was broken for us. And so the idea of the gospel penetrating our hearts has to be mainly about Christ, hear this, and what he has done. Not us or our kids and what they must do. Listen, there's a lot of things they must do, right? Oftentimes it's never good enough, right? Right, stay-at-home moms? <laughs> but listen, unless there's a foundation of what Christ has done for them, all we're doing is we're teaching them to conform to a standard of morality that really they are unable to fully conform to. And all it will do is produce a manufactured result of obedience that has no heartfelt love for mom and dad or for Jesus. You follow that? Because it's huge. It's huge. So uh, let me tell you how this looks in my own family. Okay, um, so for the past three years, uh, we've been pouring these, this phrase into my, my daughter. And here's how the phrase goes. Mikhail. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings punishment. Now, those are absolutely true statements. Okay, I'm about to knock my own parenting, okay? I'm learning, okay? Uh, those are absolutely true statements, and we will continue to teach those statements, okay? So we have bags, and in the obedience bag is all kinds of cards that when she obeys, she pulls out a card, and it's, it, there's a blessing. Like, you get to play outside. You get to get a new iPad game. How about that one? Okay, anyway, um... Moving on. Um, and then there's a disobedience bag that when she is disobedient, we'll say, Mikhail, you need to go pull a card out of the disobedience bag, and it means, you know, can't play outside, no chocolate milk, which is like gold in my house, okay? Um, you're going to get spanked. You're going to sit in time out. There, there's these, these bags, okay? But here's, here's what, what I've come to realize, okay? Here's what Mikhail has heard for three years. You must obey now, now, that's true. I'm not, hear me, I'm not negating the call to obey. But what we've realized and, and what we must realize this morning is what I'm, we're calling her to live up to a standard that she really in her heart cannot live up to apart from coming to grips with what Jesus has done for her. Okay? This is a tough tension. You guys have been parenting for years. Talk to me afterwards and help me figure out this tension. But there's a tension here that has to be present. Here's a book called Give Them Grace. Um, both the Dorseys and the Silversteins will receive this book. We want to give this to you. Um, you. Every one of you needs to read this book. An unbelievable book. Give Them Grace. Dazzling your kids with the love of Jesus. Here's what it says. Long-term, sustained, gospel-motivated obedience can only come from faith in what Jesus has already done. Not fear of what we must do. Any obedience not grounded in or motivated by the gospel is unsustainable. No matter how hard we try, how radical you get, any engine that you're depending on for power to obey that is smaller than the gospel will conk out in due time. Do you want to know the engine that I like to use? 
Here's how it works. And I probably roll up my sleeves when I'm about to do it, okay? I'll, I'll look at my daughter. You will obey me. You're three. You will listen and do what I say. Like this power, control. Do you know what that makes my daughter do? Uh-uh. No. Do you know what that makes me do? It's on. I'm bigger than you. I can put you in time out for life. Okay? To the point that there was one day, I say this to my shame, it was a bad day. My daughter was playing in the kitchen, stressful day. And she had these like popper deals, I don't even know what they're called, but you throw them on the ground and they pop like kind of like fireworks, like safe fireworks or whatever. Um, and, uh, and she had them in the kitchen and she starts dumping them out and this dust is getting everywhere. And I had it. And I went and I grabbed that box and I threw it up against the wall. I said, what are you doing? Like probably about that tone. It wasn't funny. And in that moment... Here's what happened. The power card I played, the engine of I'm in charge and you will do what I say, here's the way it ended. I threw it up against the wall. My daughter began to weep. She ran to me. She, she grabbed my leg and in that moment I just fell to my knees. And I just began to weep with her. Because my daughter had never, never seen me do that. And it scared her. And it did not produce anything good. But my own, and I said, okay, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Give them grace, goes on to say this. If our faith commitments haven't taken root in our children, could it be because they have not consistently heard them? Instead, the, instead of the gospel of grace, we've given them daily baths in a sea of narcissistic moralism. And they respond to the law the same way we do. They run for the closest exit as soon as they can. I wonder if this is why so many young people are running from the church today. And I had this conversation with my wife literally probably two weeks ago. I said, babe, I fear that that our daughter is beginning to see the Lord as this cosmic cop who says, you better do what I say or I'm going to zap you. And listen, there's an authority to God and a holiness to God where part of that is, can be true. But listen, that's not going to produce loving affection for Jesus in my daughter's life. Because you know what? Every single night when she goes to bed, I'll, before I walk out of her room, I say, Mikhail, Talk to Jesus. I want her to know Jesus is a friend. I want her to know Jesus loves her. I want her to know that he's always there. Okay, I'll talk to Jesus. You know what she says every single time? I don't want to talk to Jesus. And I just say, okay, babe. And I just walk out. Why? It hasn't gotten to her heart. I mean, she's, you know, almost four. So, I mean, Lord willing, we still have time, but... Um, it hasn't gotten to her heart. But what do we have to do? We have to give them grace. Look at the text. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. Lean not on your own abilities to raise these kids up to know and love Jesus. Like there's things that terrify me about what's ahead as a parent. 
And while this morning is going to be beautiful, we're going to pray over these kids. The road ahead is terrifying. But here's the deal. Do not trust in your own understanding. Trust in Him. Give them grace. Give them Him. So our recent conversations with Mikhail have been like this. Mikhail, it's hard to obey, isn't it, babe? Yeah, Dad. Sometimes you just don't want to do it, do you? No, Dad. I'm the same way. It's hard for me to obey sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to do it. But you know what's really cool is God knows that. And God loves you. And God sent Jesus to help you do that. Do you know what we've done? We've made the Bible a story of rules. A list of rules to follow rather than a story of God's loving pursuit of us. We've taken the story of Jonah and we've said, you know, Jonah, God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. So God said, you're going to be swallowed by a whale. And we tell our kids, you obey or there'll be whales in life that'll eat you. And the story of Jonah is the story of God's unbelievable mercy on the people of Nineveh to not destroy them, first of all, on Jonah to not destroy him, to give him a second chance and to depict the three days in the belly of a whale to the three days in the belly of the earth that Jesus sat until he rose again to bring new life to our hearts. The book Give Them Grace says this, the biggest lie about grace that Satan wants Christian parents to buy is the idea that grace is dangerous and therefore must be kept in check. By believing this, we not only prove we don't understand grace, but we violate gospel advancement in the lives of our children. We've wrongly concluded that the only way to keep licentious hearts in line is to give them more rules. The fact is, however, that the only time licentious people start to obey is when they get a taste of God's radical, unconditional acceptance of sinners. Parents, we've got to model this. We've got to to repent before our kids. To show them the grace and mercy of God. And never stop showing them that. Because here's, here's the thing. The favor of God is only directly connected to the cross. Where the cross isn't present in our lives, the favor of God is not present in our lives. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For it will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Um, Joe and Rachel and David and Melissa. um, Parenting will be the hardest thing you will ever do in your entire life. It will. Will anyone who's parented longer than me for three and a half years attest to that? It will be the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. And here's the thing. The enemy wants to destroy you. And in turn, he wants to destroy your kids. And God wants to use children to sanctify us and in turn sanctify them. And so, we could probably just go and write it on our mirrors, bathroom mirrors, and we wake up in the morning. This will be the hardest day of my life. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does Proverbs say? Be not wise in your own eyes. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just trying to be a realist. It requires God's wisdom. Parenting requires God's wisdom. You don't have what it takes, and it's okay. Don't chalk it up to the fact that you do. That's why this morning we're going to covenant together, and we're going to say we're going to help you. Please help me. Raise kids to love and live for Jesus. That's your task, parents, Dorsey's, Silverstein's, whether it's 3 a.m. and your sons won't go to bed, or whether it's 3 a.m. and you're bailing them out of jail. That's your task. To show them the grace of Jesus. That's your task. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and get um, your boys out of the nursery um, as we prepare for the dedication. Um, So let me tell you kind of how this works here. Um, So um, dedications for us, um, Joe and Rachel and David and Melissa have both expressed an eager desire um, to to see that God's blessing is on their kids, to see that God's blessing is on them as they raise their kids. And, and in that, um, they've expressly said they need help. They need the help of this church family. Um, and so uh, what, what we will do here in just a minute is, um, is they're going to make covenant to the Lord in surrendering their sons to the Lord. And equally, we're going to, as North Church family, as extended family, we're going to make covenant to them. Here's what we want to be for you. Here's what we want to do for you. Okay, and, and um, Joe and Rachel and David and Melissa know very well and, and agree with what we believe that this, this morning plays no part in, in the salvation of these kids other than surrendering them to the Lord. So at the end of this they're not saved. It requires them to one day put their personal trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to pray that over them this morning, that they will one day put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, can I go ahead and have um, uh, Joe and Rachel and David and Melissa come up? And the family's going to come up, but just not quite yet. So go ahead, you guys go ahead and come up. If you just want to stand over here. Right over here is perfect. Um, I want to go back real quick to um, to First Samuel, um, and uh, let's just look at this verse real quick on the screen. This is at the end of the dedication of Hannah. I notice what it says. It says, um, "For this child, Hannah's saying this. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to Him." Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Um, I know, guys, that this morning um, plays a crucial role in these boys' lives. Because what you're doing um, is publicly saying that, that we surrender them. That you surrender them. You surrender yourselves to the Lord. Um, and... Really, uh, what this morning holds is more about what tomorrow holds than what about today holds. 
right? Because um, we're going to pray and people are going to take pictures and they'll probably go to Facebook and they're going to be cute and um, because, you know, these guys are here and the girls are here. Sorry, guys. Um, and, um, and so um, it's going to be a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. But more than that, when, when, when Hannah says, I've lent him to the Lord, what he's saying is that, Lord, these children are yours. So whatever you want to do, whether it's through, and we pray not, but, but whether it's through sickness that God chooses to, to bring glory to his name through these boys, whether it's through a successful, happy life, whether it's through them coming to Jesus early on in life or whether it's through them coming to Jesus on their deathbed, whether it's through them one day going to war for a country or whether it's them going to war to reach the darkest, most unreached people group to rescue lost sinners from hell. We say, God, they're yours. And so, um, uh, here's, here's what we want to do. Um, we want to covenant with you this morning. We want to say we want to be a part of raising these children. Um, and so, uh, I want to read a couple statements, and these will be on the screen. Um, so we're going to covenant, um, you guys are going to covenant to the Lord, and then we're going to make covenant to you. Um, do you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and affirm the promise of God made to you and your children in his word? If so, say, we do. Will you promise to God in this church community to live gospel-transformed lives before your son? Will you promise to discipline him and show him grace? Will you instruct him in word and example, in the truth of God's word, and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Will you promise to pray for him and teach him to pray? If so, say, we will with God's help. Um, now, if you're here and you want to enter into covenant with these families, I want to invite you to stand this morning as your pledge of commitment to Joe and Rachel and, and David and Melissa. And we're going to make covenant to them. This will be on the screen. It will also be in your bulletin that you received when you came in. North Church and family, will you promise in the presence of God and one another to live gospel-transformed lives before these children and to pray that they will in turn be transformed by the gospel? Will you love and pray for them, encouraging them and helping to nurture them in the faith? Will you assist these parents in fulfilling their biblical responsibilities, hold them accountable by confronting sin, pray for them, and spur them on to love and good deeds? If so, will you please read the next statements out loud with me? With joy and thanksgiving, as Christ's church, with God's help, we promise to love, encourage, and support you as you follow Christ and raise these kids. Um, I want to invite um, the parents to come up. Um, why don't we have, um, you guys want to come over here. Um, I want the parents to surround 
their kids and their grand, grandkids. Um, I also want to invite up um, uh, Rick and Jen, uh, one of the uh, other pastors here. Uh, they currently serve as David and Melissa's community group leaders. And so I want to give them opportunity to pray over them. I also want to invite up um, Charlie and Sue, uh, who played an instrumental part in uh, David and Melissa coming to North Church, as well as served as their community group leaders for, I don't know, over a year for a long time um, to pray over them. Um, and I want to invite Mike and Rachel to come up. Mike is one of our elders, um, and his wife serves as um, deaconess of our women's ministry. And I want to invite my wife up as well. Um, my wife serve and um, love to have Joe and Rachel in our community group. And so um, if, if you want to go ahead and have a seat at this time, um, you can do that. Um, we're going to pray um, kind of individually. Uh, we're going to lay hands on Joe and Rachel and, and Titus and pray over them. Um, and they're going to do the same over here. And here's what I ask. Um, I, I want you to participate with us. I'm okay if you pray out loud while we're praying out loud. And God is okay with that, okay? If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, there's some scripture listed on the screen that these families have specifically asked that we pray over them and their kids. If you want to open your Bible and pray that, if you want to extend a hand and pray with us, um, and then uh, after a time of, of prayer, we're going to, um, I'll, I'll wrap it up. So, so let's pray. God, I thank you for these families that are here this morning. God, I pray your, your richest blessing over them. I pray infinite wisdom over them. I pray for Titus, God, and for Jeremiah, God, that you would write the gospel on their heart. God, that they may be saved and put their trust in you, young in life, God. God, I pray for the Dorseys. I pray for the Silversteins, God, as they continue the road of, of raising these boys in the fear of you. Would you give them infinite wisdom? Would you penetrate their own hearts with the truth of the gospel? And God, would you come quickly to rescue them in times of, of uncertainty? Would you come quickly to encourage them in what they're doing? God, would you give us the ability as a church family to surround them, to love them, to encourage them? to see when they need some babysitters, God, to, to see when they need love and encouragement, to see when they need to be challenged, they need sin called out. God, we surrender to you this morning. God, we thank you for what this day means. It's a continuing advancement of your kingdom in our own hearts and in the hearts of these kids. God, we thank you. And we celebrate this morning that you're for us, that you've, you've left heaven to come to earth to rescue us and to invite us into your story. And we thank you for that this morning. And we surrender. And we say we love you. We say thank you for your love. And we surrender these families to you. We surrender these boys to you for your name and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.